Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. Now, as a staff, we all felt led to recenter who we are becoming as individuals and as a church. What does it mean to be deeply formed by Christ? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? I mean, it's really easy, isn't it, just to have a veneer of being a Christian but not be true followers of Jesus? So how do we follow Jesus more fully? How do we allow him to be more firmly established in who we are? For for this message, I was really helped by John Mark Comer, who, who has written a book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. just want to give him some credit. Our young adults group is actually going, working their way through this book. It's a great book. So let's review how Jesus worked with his followers while on earth. It's important to note that when we think of Jesus, we think Messiah and Savior. But for those who met Jesus in the first century, he was known as a rabbi and a teacher. As Jesus began his ministry, we see him calling out to people. In Mark 1, it says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew and the brother of Simon casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately left, they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And we see again in chapter 2. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose up and followed him. And then if we jump to chapter 3, it says, And he, Jesus, went up the mountain and called to him, uh, and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Then let's turn to a well-known teaching of Jesus in chapter 8. It says, And calling the crowd to him, to him with his disciples, he said to him, If anyone would come after me and follow me, let, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So in all these scriptures we see a pattern. The call that Jesus gave was not, hey, believe in me, and when you die, you'll go to heaven. The call Jesus gave was, hey, come follow me. Jesus is with his disciples. The word disciple means one who follows a teacher seeking to be like them. It's not a follower like an Instagram. A better word would be an apprentice to a rabbi. To be trained by a rabbi was a serious commitment. If you were chosen, your main goal was to be with your rabbi 24-7. This is so different from today's culture where the teacher can be so removed, only seen online, and may not even know your name. In Jesus' day, an apprentice would follow the rabbi all day, every day, eat three meals a day by their side, all day, all along, all along together. That's why there was a Hebrew blessing used in the first century for, the, for a disciple, saying, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, meaning may you follow your teacher so closely that the dust of his feet, now they were living in the desert, would cover your face and your, your clothing, that everything about you would be influenced by 
the rabbi. This seems strange in our culture. We, we value uniqueness. We don't want to be carbon copies of anyone, or so we say. Because in reality, from fashion to, fashion to other ideas, we do seem to imitate others. I mean, in first century Jewish culture, it was honorable to follow your rabbi, to copy his every move, to be just like him. Following a rabbi is the same invitation Jesus invites us to. Comer, Comer distills it this way. He says, step one is we are to be with the rabbi. Step two, we are to become like the rabbi. And step three, we do what the rabbi did. We saw this in the calling of the disciples. Follow me. And eventually Jesus sends them out and they preach and they drive out demons and they do the works of Jesus. So what does this look like for us today in Columbus, Ohio, to be an apprentice to Jesus, our rabbi? Our first and most important step is to be with Jesus, to be more aware of who he is and be with him. And that's why we spent the first week of our series understanding how hurry is toxic to our spiritual life. Again, Dallas Willard called hurry the greatest enemy of the spiritual life in our day, stating followers of Jesus must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. We've been talking about how we've grown accustomed to our church's faster and busier and more hurried pace of life. Our souls were not created to operate at that pace. The pace of our culture leads us to be a people who are out of rhythm, having too much to do, not enough time to do it. This hurriedness includes distraction. Even in all of the quarantining, we still find ways to hurry to avoid slowing down, to stay busy and distracted, never giving room or space, filling every moment with something. So see, in this digital age, the average amount of time spent on phones has increased to 5.4 hours, 5.7 for millennials. And our attention span has changed as well. As you can see in this graphic, yes, we lose to goldfish. This fast-paced life with all its distractions affects our souls. Hurry's toxic. Some studies show in 2018 that 39% of Americans report being anxious, more anxious than they were a year before. <clears throat> and what do you think the results would be from this year in that regard? Jesus did not live at the pace we do. As followers of him, we are not to be in a hurry. I mean, he had a full life, not too much to do, that, it that he failed to be kind of in a toxic kind of hurry, but it was a full life. Can you imagine living life with rhythm, the rhythm of going to bed when the moon was rising and getting up at the sun? I mean, before Edison, the light bulb, the average person slept or was in bed about 11 hours a night. The average is now seven. Jesus was rarely in a hurry. He wasn't stressed out. He had a rhythm. He had a margin in his life for people. When we're being with Jesus, we become more permeated by his character traits. We become more transformed from the inside out as we become more like Jesus. See, the end goal is we actually live like Jesus did. We do what Jesus did. We continue his work on earth as it is in heaven, meaning healing the sick, praying for those who are lost, being in relationship with those who don't know God, seeing people find God in meaningful ways. One of Jesus' most famous teachings helps us to see what being with Jesus looks like. It's found in John 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser or a gardener. Abide or, or remain in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So Jesus' metaphor of the vine is we remain, we abide, we be with the vine. We don't want to be cut off. We, we practice directing and redirecting our minds to continually look toward God and his presence with us. This takes practice. The second step of following Jesus to become like Jesus, out of that abiding, remaining in the vine, we become increasingly permeated by the character traits of Jesus. This is what in church lingo we call sanctification. Again, this is being spiritually transformed. Remember, we are all being transformed. The only question is if it's accidental or intentional. Are you on track to become like Jesus? Or are you on track to become like someone else? See, I think we all want to become the person who, instead of wanting to yell or gossip about our enemy, finds it easier to love them. We want to be the kind of person who finds it easier to trust God rather than stress about bills or what the future may bring. In that kind of transformation, that takes practice. It's not going to happen in a few weeks, months, or even years. The third step of following Jesus is to do what Jesus did. Out of being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus, we do what he did. We don't have to wait until we are spiritually transformed because that's a lifetime. We grow while doing what Jesus did. We usher in the kingdom of God, letting others know the good news, healing the sick, eating and drinking with people far from God. We have become peacemakers, standing up for injustice and all sorts of other things. We join in what Jesus does. Now, following Jesus cannot be a hobby. It can't be something we dabble in or add into our lives like video games or sports. Following Jesus is about making him the whole point of your life. It doesn't mean you quit your job and become a pastor. It does mean that the focal point of your life is being an apprentice to Jesus, responding to Jesus' invitation to come follow me. And this follow me invite from Mark 8 talks about being a disciple and apprentice. It's not just saying I'm a Christian because I believe these things. It goes deeper. Jesus says in Mark 8, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, in order to be like me and the Gospels, will save it. From Jesus' invitation, would I say that I'm really a follower of Jesus? There seems to be a disconnect from our definition of being a Christian oftentimes, believing in certain key things about Jesus in order to get into heaven and being a follower, a disciple of Jesus. So think about the implications of this sentence by Dallas Willard. He says, The greatest issue facing the world today, with all of its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of existence, of human existence. So with everything going on in China, with all the repression, the crimes against the Uyghurs, with our current political social unrest, Willard says the greatest issue facing our world today is whether Christians will become disciples. 
See, we're not focused on just being converted to Christ, but to be an apprentice, to be a follower of Jesus. And this is open to everyone. For today, how do we do the first step? How do you and I be with Jesus? John 14 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Helper is another one like me, he says, and he will be in you at an even deeper way. He goes on and says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. There's something tangible in giving the Holy Spirit to us. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, you and I are being with Jesus via the Holy Spirit. We learn to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Holy Spirit. This is our goal as a follower of Jesus. This is our foundation. We hang out with the Spirit of Jesus. We live out this reality seen in this metaphor from Jesus in John 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser or gardener. Abide or remain in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing of significance. Wow. I mean, without him, we're toast. Everything we do is worthless, literally. Jesus uses the word abide and remain ten times, driving home the point that we need to stay in the Father's presence. Ground yourself in him. It's not like being alone in a monastery, but while you're eating breakfast, driving to work, whatever you're doing, being aware of the presence of God with you. There was a man now, uh, he's called Brother Lawrence, who devoted his life to one thing, to practice the presence of God, abiding. He wasn't a priest, but he was a dishwasher in a monastery in the 1600s. Word actually spread all about him. He'd write letters about how to practice the presence of God. After his death, these letters were put together in a book. And one thing he wrote, <clears throat> pardon me, the time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer, he says. Now think about that. There are no times we cannot commune with God. And in the noise, he goes on, uh, and the clutter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, he says, I possess God and as great of tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the Blessed Sacrament. So the Blessed Sacrament was the most sacred moment in your life in that day in that practice of the monastery. And here he is trying to get food out for some hangry monks God is right in the chaos and the noise and the rush and the activity of the business, busyness of the kitchen. And he says, I want you to have that kind of peace, even there. In Oregon, we all knew Grandma Dora, a missionary who, upon returning to the U.S., just became everyone's grandma. Even into her 90s, she joined us for weekly prayer over all of the churches we were serving. She had this constant awareness of Jesus. Now, Wendy remembers how Grandma Dora would be in continuous conversation with Jesus, even in the restroom. Jesus was always a part of the conversation. Now, it felt awkward at first, yet for Grandma Dora, 
everywhere was sacred and Jesus was always present. I mean, despite her frail body, she had this strength and peace about her. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, then you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want to experience what Jesus called life and life to the full, that kind of uh, like default setting of love and joy and peace and patience and on down the list, then you have to not just believe the right stuff about Jesus. You have to, as a follower of Jesus, follow Jesus and adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Uh, I lived in Eugene, Oregon for 11 years, the running capital of the world where Nike began in a garage with a waffle iron where the Olympic track and field trials are typically held. There are some who are really into running, as you can imagine. I used to be a runner, but not like them. They have high-tech outfits and high-tech watches, and they are in such great shape. When I see them run, I'd think, I'd love to be like them. But then I watched them more. And did I really want their lifestyle? When I looked how much they sacrificed for their running, I knew that although I respected and wanted their life, how good they looked, how fast they could run, how strong they were, that I didn't want their lifestyle. I knew I couldn't be the kind of dad and husband and follower of Jesus I wanted to be and still take the time and energy it would take to live the way they did. I could still be healthy and eat less ice cream, but I couldn't devote as much time to their sport as they did. The way you spend your time, your money, plan your day, gets you the results of the life you have. What is the fruit that you are getting from your apprenticeship to what you are following? Are you willing to rearrange your life to get the results you really want as a follower of Jesus? I'm not trying to guilt anyone. I know we have a lot going on. The question for all of us is, what are some ways I need to rearrange my life in order to be with God in ways that bring the life of fullness that Jesus promises us? A life shaped by abiding. How can you simplify your life down to what really matters? Cut out the unnecessary activities that add some and then add some practices that Jesus did in his life for us to connect with him. There's no official list of spiritual practices, but some of the top ten practices of Jesus include silence and solitude and prayer and fasting and reading the Bible and Sabbath-keeping and worship together as a church. The spiritual practices and disciplines are not negotiable if you want to experience the kind of life Jesus promises us if we follow him. See, it used to be that these practices were the starting point where you wanted to follow Jesus. This is how you do community. You practice silence and solitude and prayer, etc. It seems that these practices have been pushed, though, to the side because they felt too legalistic. And that's actually concerning and dangerous. These practices were meant to help us be with Jesus. I think the reason they feel legalistic is, is because the practices are not the goal, and too often we make them the goal. We don't read the Bible just to read the Bible and feel good about our day. We read the Bible to be shaped by what we read. We don't pray to check that off our list and say we're a good person today. The point of all of the practices is to be with Jesus, to reconnect with God, to tune your heart and mind to him. We're not about trying to get everybody to do all these practices like read the Bible every day and pray three times a week and boom, you're, you're going to be like Mother Teresa. 
Jesus knows we're going to mess up and that others are going to mess up and sin towards you too. He knows we're going to get angry, be thoughtless, get materialistic. See, our goal for this series is not about doing these practices perfect or becoming perfect people. We want to simply stay focused on learning how to be with Jesus and allow this to change who we become. See, our goal is to allow the fruit of the Holy Spirit to develop within us. So we are not trying to fake the fruit of the Spirit by just gritting our teeth and being more loving and patient and joyful. We learned last week that willpower, gritting our teeth, will only get us so far. Our goal is to be transformed by abiding in the vine. We continually open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, partner with God, and let the Spirit work through us. Good fruit comes from being connected to a healthy tree. How good the grapes are depends on the health of the vine. We don't produce the good fruit of love and joy and peace by being connected to our phones, not sleeping enough, cramming more into our days than possible, distracting and numbing our minds and emotions to the difficult stuff of the day. Peace is a byproduct of following Jesus. So in the next week's We'll be talking about various practices. Try them on and see that the ones that work best for you in this season that you are currently in with your personality to help you connect with God, all those things. I'm seeing some for me that are non-negotiable for me. We're going to practice together as we slow down. See, there was an interesting interview Dan Rather did with Mother Teresa. He asked her what she said during her prayers. She said, I listen. So Rather turned the question and asked, Well, then, what does God say? And Mother Teresa smiled and said, He listens. Rather just paused. He seemed a bit confused. And Mother Teresa added, And if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. See, it was Mother Teresa, so it wasn't (laughs) rude in the way she said it, but rather thought that prayer was about words. And Mother Teresa let him know that prayer doesn't have to always be words. Prayer is creating space in your life to be with God. She had an understanding that God was listening to her in silence. Two hearts beating as one. I mean, with any close relationship, being together, that, that's, that's it. We live in a noisy world. So try a time of silence with Jesus because our prayers can become like, God, I need this help. With, I need help with this. Check, check, check. Oh, and thank you so much. See you tomorrow. So, so let's switch it up. Similar to Mother Teresa, practice abiding in silence. I've been doing this at least twice a day for some time now. Practice being alone with God and yourself. Find 10 minutes a day just to be with Jesus. Center in on Him. I encourage you to practice a memo of three to five times this week. It's usually best when you do it when you're rested, first thing in the morning, but do whatever time fits life best for you. I've been practicing one time in the morning, staying in bed under the covers, but it's way too easy to fall back to sleep. So I, I often take a posture that I generally don't sleep in, and it keeps me awake and helps me to enjoy that time. Find a place that's quiet, free from distractions. You can fail or succeed at this. It's not about performance. Don't critique yourself. I'd like for you to just be. You don't have to read your Bible. Just sit and be and breathe and take deep, slow breaths and, and in stillness sit with God. And when you find your thoughts wandering, redirect them by saying Jesus or or a short statement of worship like, I love you, Lord. I turn my attention to you. See, this is about resting in God's love, being present to him, slowing down to let Jesus 
touch us and set the pace and agenda for our day. As I've been practicing this, I wouldn't say that I've sensed God every day. I've definitely gotten distracted. Anything more often than not, it is the sense of being filled with peace. My sense of peace or, or my confidence to face the day be, just feels like it becomes a little bit more whole in me during that time. And God knows we're going to get distracted. It's not easy in life to do this, especially in our digital world. We have to be more intentional than ever. I have to keep my phone far away from me. Even then, our, our minds can go to it. I, I'm irritated, go to the place of being irritated with our boss, or I ate way too much ice cream last night and I don't feel good, or we may get distracted a hundred times in ten minutes, and that's okay. We just keep returning our minds back to God. And Jesus understands. He gives us a hundred invitations to return and look at him. So let's intentionally slow ourselves down, practice abiding, not asking, just being with Jesus. As we close today, I want to invite you to just take 30 seconds right now and just be silent and turn the attention of your heart and mind to Jesus. God bless you. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.